Yeah, have you seen Making a Murder? <laughs> yeah, that's, it was the the, the national nationwide sensation here a few weeks ago, right? Yeah, it was awesome. Have you seen it, Dan? I have not. Oh I've my heard gosh, a lot about it. I've read a lot about it. It's great. If you want to waste ten hours <laughs> <laughs> and then still come away going like, "But did he really do it?" Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, and then still not know what what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, I don't know. I'm I'm on the side where it seemed like there was way too much evidence. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or thebourbonconcierge.com and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to noseyourbourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. And they're off for another Give 270-2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 0002703. And we're back with another episode of the Bourbon Pursuit Podcast. My name is Kenny, and we're here at Makers Market, their corporate headquarters today, and I've got Ryan. Ryan, how's it going? Good, man. Excited to be here. Like we talked about with Greg Davis, um, you know, Makers is one of those, your first, like, nice bourbon that you ever have. And it's like, you know, in college, you see the Makers, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I need that. Got to get some of that, <laughs> yeah, right? So, yeah, no, I'm excited to talk to Rob and and hear more about the story behind it. Absolutely. So, before we kick it off, let's talk about 
some of the numbers that came in. So the 2015 tourism uh, for bourbon has finally kind of came in and it's the numbers are staggering. There's was almost a million visitors that came and did the bourbon trail in 2015. Um, that kind of rivals even the entire population of Louisville, which is a, a huge number. So the historic bourbon trail, which uh, has uh, Bullet, Wild Turkey, Four Roses, Heaven Hill, Jim Beam, uh, Maker's Mark, Town Branch, and Woodford had a total of around 600, or sorry, 762,000 visits, which is a 22% increase uh, from 2014, which is pretty big. And then you got the, tra- the, the craft tour, which experienced around 134,000 visits, which is a few other ones you may or may not heard of. You can find them out there. Uh, Barrel House, Corsair, Limestone Branch, MB Roland, New Riff, Willet Wilderness Trail, and Old Pogue. And then, of course, Buffalo Trace isn't part of the KDA, uh, and they've got their own numbers, which is around 145,000. And that's about an 18% increase over last year. That's insane. And I think it's just the beginning. I think it's going to keep growing and growing as soon as, you know, some of these distilleries downtown get finished and Louisville becomes uh, more of a focal point. I think it's just going to get more and more. I think so, too. I think it's uh, it's going to be good. I mean, it's great for our economy. Like some of the numbers say that pretty much every tourist that comes spends right around $1,000, right? So it's not a huge expensive trip, uh, per se, uh, because doing a distiller tour is relatively cheap, right? Yeah. Um, and, and it's pretty easy to kind of get around. You just follow some signs. It's just a lot of driving. Uh, but for the most part, you know, it's, it's showing that um, even – Outside of Louisville, right? It said most people that are doing the bourbon trail is 85% of people that were outside of Kentucky. So it really shows that bourbon tourism is really starting to pick up around here. That's awesome. And I think it's just, like I said, just going to keep getting bigger and bigger. I think we're going to be maybe not the new Napa, but maybe Sonoma or something like that. (laughs) Not that big, right? Yeah. Well, cool. So let's go ahead and we'll kick it off. So today we have the COO of Maker's Mark and we've got Rob Samuels. Rob, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So uh, first, let's go ahead and kick it off. You know, one of the things we always ask people that, um, you know, we know that you've been around bourbon your entire life. So I guess kind of talk about your childhood growing up. Like, what was it kind of getting into the family business? Well, in this industry, what's magical to me about it is it's not a nine to five. You live the industry. So lots and lots of fond memories as a youngster of both my father and my grandparents living the industry. And through the various milestones of Maker's Mark as they were nurturing their passion and my grandfather's creation. But, uh, you know, my earliest memories at the distillery were with my my grandfather inside the distillery. And in addition to his passion for the process and the uniqueness of each step of the process that influences the taste, he always was really passionate about the people and putting the people first and treating the employees as, as part of the family. And that stayed with us. He also would talk a lot about the community and giving back. And since it were Kentuckians that really kept him in business for the better part of 30 years before there was any budding interest at all in his creation, Maker's Mark, outside the boundaries of Kentucky, he was always really passionate about giving back. Kentuckians kept him in business, and he was always going to do what he could to, uh, to celebrate and partner with meaningful organizations here in Kentucky. Mm -hmm. And that lives on here today. It's actually one of the aspects of my role that I enjoy more than any other is using his creation to partner, uh, to raise the profile and resources for various causes. So let's, let's go ahead and kind of talk about that a little bit. So Mm -hmm. what's, what's the day in the life of, of a COO of Maker's Mark here? 
The good news is no two days are alike. <laughs> yeah. I, sp- I spent last uh, last Friday in Chicago. Uh, the Petersons, who have been who have provided our grain since the early 1970s, they were recognized in Chicago at a big event with a thousand of fellow farmers from throughout the uh, South and Midwest. And it was really an honor for me to help celebrate their contributions to the success of Maker's Mark. And I got to share the story of Maker's Mark with uh, with a group. But uh, but the heart and soul of what Maker's Mark is, is in Marion County. And what's really exciting to me and to our team is setting the stage for growth in a really unique, special way. Uh, we've expanded in a way I think that no distillery in the world's ever expanded which is instead of scaling up in a way where you do bigger stills, bigger fermenters to reduce cost a little bit, we've actually built an identical replica distillery. So let's talk about that a mm-hmm. little bit. So kind of talk about the, what's, what's going on with the new distillery and all these other kind of things that you're planning on. Well, as a single source of supply, which means every drop that's ever been in a bottle of Maker's Mark we made and every drop that we've ever made in our distillery – has never been anywhere other than a bottle of Maker's Mark. We're limited and restricted in ways that a lot of other distilleries aren't. So as you look into the crystal ball and you think that this is truly the beginning of what's going to be a really nice period of growth for premium bourbon, which ultimately that's my grandparents' legacy, their vision in the early 1950s to do something that a lot of people even in the industry thought not possible bringing to life a handmade, refined, soft, full-flavored bourbon when the category was rough, tough, blow your ears off um, is exciting in that we've built uh, another distillery identical to the first. And the idea being that same equipment, same process equals same taste. So way into the future, that uh, Maker's Mark will have been made exactly as it was the very first morning in 1953, when we got started. Fantastic. So you, you, I heard that catchphrase in there. I've heard it before, blow your ears off, right? Now, where where'd you hear that the first time? Because I think I've, I've heard that at some point in my life as well. Well, the uh, that's, that's the industry's legacy. And, you know, when our family got started in the early 1800s, the, the, it's hard to imagine today, but the category of American whiskey and bourbon was in a very, very different place. It was all about commodity. It was test of manhood. And the rougher and the tougher, the more uh, the more successful you were. They were essentially commodities. Our family owned a distillery called T.W. Samuels. was passed down through the generations. I'll admit that that whiskey was probably a little worse than most of the others. <laughs> and thankfully, my grandparents had the courage to break from tradition and to go chase their dream. I think in a lot of ways, it would have been a hell of a lot easier for them just to go do what everybody in the industry expected them to do, which was to uphold the family name and make the family whiskey. But we all know when we really love and enjoy what we're a part of, we're always more successful. And he didn't start with a commercial ambition. I mean, to him, after he purchased 650 acres in Marion County, Kentucky, broke down each and every step of the process he approached everything, not as a businessman or as a commercial person, but as a craftsman. And he cash flowed everything himself. He got started, and each step of the process is unique and different to any distillery in the world with a very specific taste profile in mind. Just this idea of day after day, week after week, month after month, expenses overhead with no revenue. Mm-hmm. I mean, he ran the business, the operation, 
almost seven years before he sold the first case, which was actually sold to Keeneland. Um, I think it would be interesting to look back and uh, of all the bourbons or American whiskeys invented since 1933 when Prohibition was repealed, how many started from scratch? How many uh, didn't borrow whiskey to get started? And to him, this was this was tr- truly a commitment to his craft, his vision, and what winning looked like was really no more complicated than could he produce a handmade bourbon that he would be proud of, proud to share with his friends, many of whom were the other distillers. At that time, he was actually living on Whiskey Row in Bardstown, so he was surrounded by the other titans of the industry, and he thought maybe one day in the nicest restaurants in the South, there would be a little bit of interest. That's interesting. So it was funny that you said the the first case was sold to Keeneland. You guys have a pretty good relationship with Keeneland, right? I mean, like every few years is a a Keeneland commemorative bottle. I mean, is that that the kind of tie of why you guys always have some sort of affinity with uh, always dealing with Keeneland? It's deeper than that. They were our first customer, and it was that community, the Thoroughbred Racing community, that in the very beginning embraced Maker's Mark. Were were it not for Central Kentucky uh, and the bankers here in Louisville, Maker's Mark never would have survived. I mean, imagine there were seven years of him operating uh, with no sales, and then it was an additional 25 years before there was any indication of interest beyond Kentucky. And uh, the depth of the relationship with Keeneland, their shared values. Mm-hmm. Um, Keeneland, they're not a nonprofit, but they operate as if they were, and they love giving back, and they want to step up and be a pillar in the community. And to date, Maker's Mark and Keeneland together, we've been able to raise and donate north of eight and a half million dollars to various causes in, in Kentucky. That's fantastic. So it's very much reminding of like um, a, a starving artist, right? Of of having, being a Picasso or being a Mozart and then really it doesn't really matter until you're dead and gone, right? Like that's <laughs> that's almost kind of the, the kind of... Well, I, I can tell you it was 1992 just as I was heading off to university and... My grandfather invited me to lunch together, and we went and had lunch at the Pendennis Club in Louisville. You know, the Pendennis Club is famous with bartenders especially because it was a um, bartender at the Pendennis Club that invented the old-fashioned cocktail. And it was one of those moments that I'll just never, ever forget because it was after we had our lunch that he sort of reflected and gazed out the window, and he talked about his creation and in anything, when your timing's good and you have a line of customers around the block, it's easy to stay true to who you are. And, you know, he was really proud that he never wavered from his vision when he didn't have any customers mm-hmm. because the market was just in a very, very different place. And he talked about that. I mean, there was a lot of well-intended pressure put on him to go conform to where the market was, which was bottom shelf commodity whiskey. And he never uh, he never wavered from that, and he was really proud. Uh, thankfully, he did get to see budding success and interest amongst top bartenders in New York and New Orleans and some of the great cities in America uh, before he passed. What I'm proud of is is you know we've set the stage to manage growth in a way moving forward that really keeps all of his vision intact and preserves the magic of what the Wall Street Journal said is purposeful inefficiency. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had, we had no growth for 30 years, but for the last 30 years, we've sold every drop we've made. 
And the bourbon today inside the distillery is made exactly as it was the very first morning when he started. And I don't know that any other distillery in the world that's had a sustained period of growth like we have can say that. Um, every label is still printed and hand-torn. We still rotate every single barrel through the maturation process. I think we're the only distillery in the world that rotates barrels. And we still have by far and away the slowest, most inefficient bottling line, I have to imagine, <laughs> hand-dipping every single bottle. Right. So where do you see, like, the? you know, obviously bourbon's exploding right now. Where do you guys see the future and how Makers is going to be a part of that now? Do you see a growth here, abroad? Where I see where? a growth everywhere. I mean, bourbon... Premium bourbon is driving all the growth, but total volume of bourbon today is still only 70% of what it was 50 years ago in this country. So I think there's huge growth potential here in the boundaries of the U.S. and North America and boundless growth outside the U.S. What you have with, with good bourbon is you don't get any other, any other uh, categories of spirit, in my opinion. You get consumers today want taste and substance Versus, you know, I think 10, 20 years ago, vodka, uh, bland and nondescript was associated with smooth. And that's, that dynamic's totally changed. Mm -hmm. So I guess even with that, when you said, you know, 20, 30 years ago, what sort of do you think really kept Maker's Mark alive during that period? I mean, was it, was it affinity toward the brand? Was it, um, you know, just really struggling? Like, I mean, I know a lot of distilleries and a lot of companies are really trying to struggle during that time uh, to try to get in the face of customers, to do more advertising, do all these other kind of things. I mean, was it just the natural progression of, of now where we are today and, and just by sheer luck that you're one of those premier brands that are out there? Well, we had about a 30-year head start before the next big distillery attempted to make a premium position product. So we're blessed that our founders had that vision early. And some would argue you know, essentially invented premium bourbon. Um, and, you know, we had a long, bumpy road for the better part of 25 years. And both my grandfather and my father were deeply committed to who Makers was and is and made the tough choices and had the discipline to stay true and wait for the mountain to come to Muhammad. Um, and that, you know, even carried over to how they were connecting with customers from, from the outset they knew who they were, and the goal was never to be the biggest. Uh, his philosophy, my my grandfather, was to treat each customer like a friend. And when you think about things through that perspective, it's one at a time versus mass marketing, as an example. Mm -hmm. So over all of these years, the, the most natural way in which we, we have promoted, if you will, uh, Maker's Mark is in a very personal way. So it's slow and steady versus... Versus sort of broad and mass very quickly. Mm -hmm. Kind of like I-65 traffic. You, know? <laughs> you all have some of the best advertising, you know, that I've seen in the industry. Talk. What are some of your favorite ads that you, you all have had this throughout the years? Well, what's interesting is we, you know, we take what we do at the distillery very seriously. At the end of the day, that's the heart and soul, and that's what defines Maker's Mark. The advertising, we don't take anywhere near as seriously. That, the, the purpose of the advertising is just to get a smile from our customers We've worked with the same agency for 45 years. I think it's the longest brand agency of any product, well beyond spirits, uh, with an agency. We've worked together for 45 years. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of really, really good ones. Um, I'm waiting to see the blue wax over the Louisville skyline. <laughs> yeah, right? instead of the red. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was one that uh, that got people smiling here a number of years ago that was 
a, a neck of red wax with a tuxedo bottle and said Kentucky Redneck. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> you know, this is a this is a family business, right? And your your father had a great lineage, that, uh, you know, until now. He's he's what the a chairman? What's his? his he's chairman emeritus. You know, okay. his vision for retirement. He stepped back six years ago, yeah. but his vision for retirement is different than most, and he's so valuable that we uh, we begged him not to run off. To, to complete retirement. So we we keep him engaged in different things. He's at the distillery hosting special tours. We pick his brain on all the big things that we do. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon. The farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus Magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point of sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns, from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com bourbon, all lowercase. And go to shopify.com bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today, shopify.com slash bourbon. Right. And so I guess what was some of the best fight advice your father gave you when you were coming into the family business? God, there's so much. Um, I've always admired his, his, um, his commitment to the community. I mean, I think if you were to look back over his, 40 plus years with Maker's Mark, he's probably contributed maybe half of his total hours spent on various community projects, which again, that's been a big part of what Maker's Mark stands for since inception and since my grandparents. But that commitment to community, I, you know, he lived it every single day. And that's a tremendous uh, form of leadership. He's just been a great role model in every, in every way from from the business side, uh, the commitment to the community, the commitment to connecting with customers in the maker's way and having the, the thinking, you know, that's, it's a really counterintuitive way to, to, uh, to market your brand. So he's been a, he's been a great mentor there. And then as a, as a father, he just lives all the values that you would ever want from, uh, from a father, he's a man of integrity and, He's been great to my children. I have two, and he's, you know, he's been uh, he's been great with them. 
Fantastic. So you also, there's a lot of articles that started that said you really first had your really first job at the distillery when you were nine years old. Kind of talk about some of the history uh, growing up and having various positions with Inside of Maker's Mark. Well, those were, uh, I've, I've worked every job at the distillery and this was back in, um, you know, late middle school into high school. And I remember each of those days like they were just yesterday. And that helped set the foundation for me because, um, you know, it, it gives me the depth and the perspective of of each and every aspect of the distillery and and what Maker's Mark is. So it's best than worst job. <laughs> uh, best than not as best job. We'll put it that way. I remember the most <laughs> challenging physically at the time was the roller mill. We're the one, I believe one of two distilleries in the world that uses a roller mill. And uh, the purpose of the roller mill is to grind the grain to get to the starches without generating any heat so we don't scorch any of the grain. So it's slow and it's inefficient, but it allows us to get to the starches without uh, scorching any of the grain. And um, that job requires climbing flights of steps, four stories up and down all day long. So that was that was uh, physically a challenge. But uh, I, I really enjoyed the, you know, working the still. I've always marveled at the tasting panel. That's at the heart of probably the most important responsibility that we all have at the distillery is tasting panel is managing consistency of taste over time. And in the beginning, it was one man, my grandfather, and today it's 22 individuals, 15 women, seven men. And we taste a little bit out of each batch of 19 barrels five times over the course of its maturation before we bottle. So that sounds like the best job to me, <laughs> the tasting panel. Well, every, At 9 or 10 a.m., though? Yeah. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> well, well each, uh, each employee within the team has an opportunity to apply to be on the tasting panel, and, and the application process is really no more complicated than, is your palate sharp enough? Right. And what we uncovered over a period of years as more and more females qualified and fewer males is that the average female actually has a sharper palate. The average female has nearly twice as many taste buds per square inch on their palate. Not all females, but the average female. And I see it in the tastings that I'll conduct. Females generally have can pick up the taste nuances a little bit more than the average the average male. But that is job number one. Yeah, that's, that's, that's impressive to kind of know. So, I mean, you kind of said that, you know, you are the head of operations. So is, is, do people look at that and they said they want to try to be on the tasting panel? Is it kind of like a promote within kind of organization? It's a, it's a, it's a badge of honor, as you can imagine. So, um, yeah, everybody, everybody, all 137 employees really, really want to ultimately have that experience, but it's, 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 it's black and white based on quality of the palate. Mm-hmm. So let's go ahead and, and we're going to touch on it, not do too much. So there was, um, there was a, a big thing back in 2013. It was the great proof debacle, I guess you could call it. And we'll, just to kind of give our, our listeners some, uh, some background for those that are getting new into bourbon and everything like that. I think there was, was it going from 90 to 86 proof? Is that what the, uh, the, the big thing was? And it was because there was a huge, even 2013, there was still a huge demand, right? Um, overseas markets, all these different kinds of things. And, you know, you and your team made a decision to lower the proof. And then there was, um, a lot of, a lot of customers that were sending in, um, either complaints or stories or whatnot, and then you decided to retract it. Now you're back to the original proof. Can you talk about that that scenario a little bit? 
Yeah. Um, over the many, many years, lots and lots of brands have made similar decisions. We did two things and different. Even more are to now. are doing it now. <laughs> They're having to face the same thing. We, we've done, we did two things that I don't know had ever been done before, which is before that decision was made, we actually told the whole world what we were doing and uh, versus trying to do it in the dark of night. So we announced to the whole world what we were doing. And then most importantly, we listened. And our customers rightly raised hell. And I remember somebody asked me at that time, geez, Rob, what do you think about all of this um, feedback you're getting from your customers? And I said, I'm proud of them. And ultimately, it became a very easy decision inside of a week to reverse and return to 90 proof. And it's interesting because even in this country, not many brands listen to their customers. So, you know, we owned up to the mistake, listened to our customers, and have moved on. Mm-hmm. Would you consider that maybe the hardest decision or one no, of the top decisions? As I, you know, as I just mentioned, you can't hear as loudly and as clearly what we heard. Um, and it was it was a very easy decision. Mm-hmm. So I guess let's kind of talk about that role in operations. I guess um, what are some of the uh, the bigger decisions that you've had to make as as, as chief of operations? Well, um, it's everything down to uh, the distillery expansion, which we just completed. That was a two-year project, building an identical replica of the original distillery. So today at Maker's Mark, when our friends come to see us and you're inside the distillery, it gives the illusion of looking into a mirror, which you're not. What you're actually looking into first is the second distillery we built 15 years ago, and we just finished up our, our third. So under roof at Maker's Mark, inside the distillery, we have three distilleries, each of which are identical to one another, and that's allowed us to grow in a way no distillery in the world's ever grown. And same equipment, same process, equals same taste. So we that's the project we've been working on. We, uh, we actually built the first roads in Marion County, Kentucky in 35 years. <laughs> for those of you that have been to the distillery, it's... It About trap, we were, it's, we were lost on those for a bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, follow the signs, not navigation, not the GPS. Yeah. Follow the signs, but uh, we've just built two miles of new road, two two uh, parking lots, and two bridges. But what that's done for us is take all the congestion in the parking, uh, which used to be in the right in the heart of the campus, out to the perimeter, and all that asphalt's been torn up, and it's like a park. Um, as my grandfather got started in the early 1950s, my grandmother began to think about the place, not to offend engineers, but you know most distilleries are are constructed and designed by engineers who focus exclusively on functionality. Thankfully, she had the vision to to think of the place as the soul, the soul of the handmade bourbon that her husband had set out to create. And this is before any distillery in Kentucky had ever hosted a visitor. She thought, what more compelling way to connect with friends than to have to swing open your doors and let them, let them visit, just like when you invite guests over to your home, that's a very personal way to connect with friends. So even from the beginning, she had this idea of uh, of hosting friends. And that's why at Makers, you get to walk right through the heart of each and every step of the process. Whereas at a lot of other distilleries, you sort of have to, they take you around the edge of the action because it's not safe to walk through the heart. Uh, and, you know, the vision for the for the campus was to recreate a Victorian village. And it was a really special moment for us as a family and a team 
when uh, September two years ago, she became the first female ever from a distillery to be inducted into the Bourbon Hall of Fame. Um, she, to my knowledge, is the only female ever to name a, a, a Kentucky bourbon, and she created the Maker's Mark name and bottle design, which some would say is maybe the most iconic uh, whiskey or bottle design. And, Can't argue that one. <laughs> and she, uh, she, and she, she was credited with invented, inventing bourbon tourism. Fred Minnick said, in his opinion, she's the most underappreciated figure in the history of whiskey. Well, yeah, I mean, because it's it's one of those things that you know we just talked about at the very beginning. Uh, bourbon tourism is exploding, right? And that was one of the things that um, when we learned is that you know really Maker's Mark thought about tourism long before tourism even really began to really pick up. So I think it was uh, it's very interesting to to kind of get that little tidbit in history. Uh, we're reaching the top of the thirty minute mark. Uh, let's talk about some life outside of bourbon just real quick. So, mm-hmm. what other kind of hobbies do you have? You know, I love to steal an hour on the treadmill. Or run. I'm, I like. I'm not a very good runner. I'm nice and slow and steady, but I love to. Uh, <laughs> kind of like your bourbon, right? <laughs> yeah. I love the. Uh, I love my time just to burn off the, burn off the stress or the pressure, uh, on the treadmill. Uh, and I, you know, I have two kids, so that's all consuming on weekends and everything else. So, love just seeing them chase their dreams and find their passions. You think they're going to go into the family business as well? You know what? They're they're both intrigued by it, and I think they're proud, and they have a sense of appreciation for the magic of, of Maker's Mark, and they've spent time with me and uh, on-site at the distillery, and they're intrigued by all the, the uniqueness of the various elements of Maker's Mark. But we'll see. Like any parent, you just want them to find, chase their dream and find something that they're really passionate about. Well, if this podcast is still going, maybe we'll get them in 10 yeah. or 20 years, right? That's right. <laughs> Our kids will be hosting. Yeah, right. So, uh, Rob, just want to say thank you again for coming on the show today. This was fantastic. Uh, Love the insight into Maker's Mark, the history, uh, the brand, you, your position. This was just uh, so fantastic. Thanks for your time. Enjoyed meeting you, gentlemen. Come see us at the distillery. Yeah, thanks again. Uh, like I said, Maker's was is one of the first premium bourbons you, you drink when you're, you make your progression through, you know, this whole bourbon chase that we go through. And so I <laughs> uh, appreciate your time. And th- that was great. I loved hearing the story and, and all the history and, and excited to see makers grow and, and just let's just keep this thing going. Absolutely. So if you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. You can find us by just typing in the word Bourbon Pursuit, but odds are you're probably already listening to it, so you already found it. Um, If you want to, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Bourbon Pursuit. You can also like us on Facebook. Yep, and if you have uh, any suggestions or uh, people you want to hear on the podcast, uh, we listen to our customers as well. So uh, (laughs) definitely let us know, and we'll see you next time.